On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you gave John the inspiration and power when he wrote these words. And we believe these words not only had power for his day, but they have power today if we will hear them. So we pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit to open this word now to us perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. On the Tuesday of this week, the Tuesday after Easter, I was greeted with a welcome card on my desk. These welcome cards, which you get in your pews, uh, sorry, in your bulletins, uh, are opportunities for us to communicate uh, with clergy, with others, to indicate uh, new visitors and the rest. Well, this welcome card, we'd seen so many of them before. This was a little different. And some of you, uh, if you are prime timers this week, uh, you've heard a bit of this story. Uh, This card was different because it's from my eight-year-old daughter. Uh, She wrote her name down, Kiralee. Uh, she wrote down her address, uh, including her zip code, um, mommy's phone number, uh, mommy's email address. Um, I am a first-time guest, she says. Uh, how did you hear about us? Mom. So mom told her about Christchurch. Um, in the I am interested in section, she said, speaking with a member of the clergy. Now, there's one more thing about this card that I want to share with you, but I'm going to wait to the end. (laughs) How did these fearful disciples on the evening of Easter become so fearless? How did these fearful disciples, verse 19 says they were behind locked doors for fear. They were literally hiding And yet, not long after this, they're going to be out in the streets shouting, shouting about Jesus, proclaiming the resurrection. In fact, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, these fearful disciples will be hauled before the exact same council that Jesus was hauled before. And before those ones who put Jesus to death, they will say, in Acts chapter 5, we'd rather obey God than human beings. I mean, that's boldness, that's fearlessness. How did it happen? How did these fearful disciples become so fearless? I mean, it's interesting in verse 21, Jesus says to them in our text today, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I mean, do you hear what that really means? By saying, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus is saying, in the same way that the Father sent the Son of God, just in the same way 
so I'm sending you. I, Jesus, am sending my church, my disciples, in the same way the Father sent me. The same quality of mission, the same power of mission, the same importance of mission. This is now yours, church. This is what Jesus is saying to them in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And I don't know about you, but if I was in that room, I'd feel totally inadequate. Seriously, Jesus? You're sending us? Us. Now, some have said that the big change that took place in the disciples, why they went from fearfulness to fearlessness, was because they saw Jesus raised from the dead. And I think there's a great degree of truth to that. They saw Jesus raised. They saw the glory of Easter, and that changed them. But it wasn't enough just to see Jesus raised. Jesus had a gift for them, two gifts, in fact, which we see in this text. You see, for them to see Jesus raised, they say, wow, we didn't see this coming, but... It is Jesus after all, they're thinking. I mean, he's pretty awesome. Raised the dead, wow, we didn't see it coming, but Jesus is the awesomest. So, raised the dead, pretty cool. But that doesn't solve a deep problem within each of them. Jesus is awesome, raised from the dead. I'm not so awesome. So I'm really glad, Jesus, that you got this whole resurrection thing down. Awesome. What about me? This is me we're talking about. I mean, these disciples are full of sin and brokenness. They've denied Jesus. They've run away from him. This is not the A-team here. And they know that. It's interesting. I think in the liturgy today, I think I skipped part of the creed. Did I, did I do that? Yeah, you're all nodding. You're like, yep, yep. I knew. You know, that happens. That happens. Um, it's, it's called NyQuil. Um, it, it does that to you. You shouldn't take it during the daytime. No, but seriously, it's, 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 you know, we have these moments where you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe at a baptism service I forgot part of the creed. It's just that reminder, we're all really, really broken, really incomplete. Like, Lord, you, <laughs> like, you were the one that put me here. Sorry, it's on you. <laughs> these disciples are saying, Lord, how can we possibly move into this mission? As the Father has sent me, so you're sending us, us. Well, there's two aspects of this inadequacy that these disciples, I think, are facing. And one is their sin, right, their brokenness, and the other is their ability, their strength, their power. And they feel pretty inadequate in both departments. I'm sinful and I don't have much ability to do this crazy thing you're calling me to do. So Jesus gives them two gifts this evening this Easter evening. He says to them, peace be with you, and then he blows on them. And in doing that, he's giving them two gifts. He's giving them his peace, and he's giving them his power. Let's unpack that a little bit, his peace and his power. Jesus first to these inadequate disciples gives his peace. It's his first word when he appears in that room. He says, peace be with you. And it's the common greeting that would have been said between people in Palestine, in Jerusalem, between Jews, shalom. It's said to this day, shalom, peace be with you. Peace to you is literally what it means, peace to you. And they say it all the time, we say it today, we, we say it in our liturgies, peace be with you. But the word shalom in the Bible means more than what we often think of peace in our English vernacular. 
You see, peace, shalom peace, is more than just the absence of conflict, right? We're praying for world peace. No, peace is wholeness. Peace is completeness. Peace is being right. Like, I'm right. I'm okay. I'm put together all right. I'm at peace. I'm complete. Humpty Dumpty got put back together again. That's shalom. That's peace. And Jesus says it to them. But what's amazing is when we say that greeting to one another, it's sort of hopeful, isn't it? Like, I'm hoping that you can have some peace in your life. I hope that in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your lack of shalomness, that you can have some more shalom. I mean, that's really what we're saying. May God's peace be on you. May you have peace. It's aspirational. It's, it's hopeful. But that evening of Easter, that peace becomes a promise. It becomes a gift. It's not something just being hoped for. Oh, I hope you do better. Bless your heart. Peace be with you. No, it's actually a promise. And here's why. Because Jesus says it twice. He says it twice. Verse 19, peace be with you. And then he does something. And then verse 21, he says again, peace be with you. And you think, wow, Jesus, are you forgetting? You already said that to us. Why the second peace be with you? And here's why. Because Jesus is trying to emphasize this moment. He's trying to show them something. He's saying, pay attention to what's happening here. Peace be with you. And they're like, oh, wow, resurrected Jesus. Wow, yeah, peace to you. And then he does something and again says, peace be with you. And in that second one, their ears are paying attention. They're they're opening up going, oh, okay, there's something going on here. Jesus is teaching us again. The rabbi's raised from the dead and again, here he is teaching us. What's with the second peace be with you? Do you know why he said peace be with you a second time? I don't know. Well, what does Jesus do in that moment in between the two peace be with you's? Peace be with you, verse 19. Peace be with you, verse 21. In the middle is verse 20. And it says, and he showed them his hands and his side. See, Jesus on this evening of the resurrection is teaching his disciples about peace, about shalom, He's saying to them, you've always desired shalom. We we say it when we greet one another, but tonight I can declare to you the truth and the promise that shalom, peace, is now given to you. Why? Because of what stands in the middle. Peace be with you, wounds. Peace be with you. The wounds have made the peace The wounds change this greeting. No longer is it something we're hoping for, but now it becomes a gift. It becomes an inheritance. It becomes a sure thing. It becomes a promise. From this point on in human history, whenever Christians will greet one another and we do it liturgically, we're going to do it in a few moments and say, peace be with you. That's not something we're kind of hoping that maybe God will bring in your life. It's something we're declaring over the church. Peace, shalom is yours. It is available. Why? Because of the wounds. Peace be with you. Look at my wounds. Peace is with you. You see, Jesus and his wounds tie us into, we have to be reminded of Good Friday and how that 
what that means within the temple sacrificial system. I talked about this a bit on Easter. I talk about it most Sundays. We need to understand this. You know, when you read the book of Leviticus, right? I know it's your favorite book, isn't it? Like everyone just loves reading Leviticus. And every day you're like, I just can't wait to go home and read the whole thing today, right? All of Leviticus. It's your favorite, isn't it? Like, it's just like numbers. That's also your favorite, isn't it? Right? But in those moments, those, those big, long sections about sacrifices and blood offerings and all this stuff, what is being said and declared is that God who is holy, God who is just, God who is perfect, from whom we have rebelled, we have rejected, we have become unholy, unrighteous, that we cannot dwell with God. Unholy people are not compatible with a holy God. God must judge evil and brokenness and sin. And so for there to be any kind of relationship between God and humanity, God created in the temple system. He said to Moses, build me a tent of meeting and build me an altar. And then eventually that becomes a temple and it becomes this root, this avenue, this ability for God to commune with us, for God to be with us temporarily. And yes, animals died in the process. It was, it was a good thing for priests. That's how the clergy got fed. We'd eat the animals. So I'm all for, you know, if we want to bring that back, you know, barbecue in the back, back section here, bring your animal to church, feed the priests. But seriously, that's what it was. It was an opportunity to both you know, provide for the priest, but also to ultimately make yourself right before God. The animal died at the door of the tent of meeting instead of you. Because you were about to do this crazy thing. You were about to walk into the presence of a holy God and worship. And you can't do that because you're unholy, you're broken. If you stand before God as you are, you would die. The wages of sin is death. And so therefore, a sacrifice was made. The animal dies in your place. And so it is that we begin to understand as Jesus hangs on the cross on Good Friday that his cousin, John the Baptist, said of him in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John was predicting what Jesus would do on Good Friday is that he would be the perfect sacrifice, the one sacrifice for all, once delivered up for all. Jesus, the sinless, pure one who'd never committed sin, never done anything wrong, he would stand in our place and hang on that cross bearing our death. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And he hangs there bearing our sin, bearing the consequence of our brokenness, death. And that's why in Matthew 27, he cries out, quoting Psalm 22, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People have debated that for years, I mean centuries, 2,000 years since Jesus said it. What does he mean? Why is he quoting that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting it because that's what he's experiencing. I mean, if you can wrap your minds around it, in that moment, the sinless, perfect son of God who knew unbroken communion with his father eternally, in that moment, because he offered in love to take our sins on himself, to take the punishment of our sins on himself, that he became a thing of sin so that we could become a thing of righteousness. In that moment, the father looks down on Jesus bearing our sins and can't look at Jesus. Jesus. 
He turns his face away. The father turns his face away. Our sin, became, our sin came between the father and the son. And the father turns his face away from Jesus. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's bearing the sin of the world. But of course, that's not the end of the story. He rises from the dead on the third day. And they're now seeing him before their very eyes. And he stands before them on that evening of resurrection with those nail-pierced hands, with that, pierce, that, 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 that spear-pierced side. And he says, peace be with you. Here's my wounds. Peace is yours. See, these disciples are given this promise of peace. Jesus was making peace with God on the cross between us and the Father. And that's now this place where we stand as disciples, as followers of Jesus, redeemed, forgiven. We're sons and daughters. I mean, look what happened in baptism today. I mean, can you imagine those words, what they mean? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we take oil and put a sign of the cross on the head and say, I sign you with the cross of Christ and claim you as Christ's own forever. It's not about what you do. It's not about how holy and righteous you are. It's about how holy and righteous he was. And he's given you that gift of peace. How did these disciples become so fearless? Because Jesus gave them the gift of peace that night. I'm okay. What can man do to me? I'm okay with God. Things are right in this world. But Jesus also gives them his power. <clears throat> we'll look more at this on Pentecost. But in verse 22, it says he blow, blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the often ignored third person of the Trinity. All right, we talk a lot about the Father, a lot about the Son, but some of us get very uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, and yet the Holy Spirit is absolutely the center of what it means for us to say yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was poured out on particular people at particular times, particular places, particular tasks. Right? to empower them to do what they could not do on their own. This was the very presence of God in them, enabling them to do the work they were called to do. I mean, you see an example of this in 1 Samuel 16. Listen to this language of the Spirit being given and the Spirit being taken away. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers as king, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. But did you hear that? The, the, the Spirit came on David to enable him to be king, but it departed from Saul. The Holy Spirit departed from Saul. And see, what we find on Pentecost and is being spoken of in this moment with Jesus in that room on that evening of Easter is now the Holy Spirit is given not just to particular people, particular times, places, tasks. No, the Holy Spirit is given to all who turn to Jesus. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, enabling you to do the tasks, the calling that he's given you, enabling you to live this mission. 
It was a year ago, as some of you know, a year ago today, the second Sunday of Easter, that was my first time preaching here at Christ Church. And I remember that day walking up to the pulpit, and it's been the same experience every time I've walked up to the pulpit since. I'm just saying, oh, Holy Spirit, you had better show up or I'm done for. I mean, this is the position that God is wanting us in. Complete dependence on his power. He gives us his peace. You're okay. Do you know you're okay? Do you know you're okay before God? Peace be with you. But also, he gives us his power. The power to live out what it means to be his people in this world. To be on mission. How did these fearful disciples become so fearless? These inadequate sinners lacking in ability, Jesus gave them his peace. Look at my wounds. And he gave them his power. Receive the Holy Spirit. Curly's welcome card not only said that she's a first-time guest and that she's interested in speaking with a member of the clergy, but then she says in the please contact me about section, Please contact me about preaching. (laughs) So next Sunday, she'll be up here, it seems. Um, (laughs) Rector's prerogative. But you know what I love about that? I mean, here here is a child, an eight-year-old, who, you know, is, is actually hearing the good news spoken over her again and again through church, through Sunday school, through all these different opportunities, right, through her home. She's hearing the gospel spoken of her life, and and she's got that childlike faith, that childlike wonder that says, all right, you know, I'm not saying that she can articulate and say, all right, you know, Jesus gave me his peace, and he gave me his power, but she's just living it. She's like, all right, I'm good with Jesus. I believe the story. You know, I I got a Holy Spirit power in me. I mean, watch that world. Here she comes. But that's what we're called to live into. Imagine if we took that childlike faith and applied it in our lives. You have peace with God. You're okay with God. Do you know that as you come to the table today? As you put it in your hands? The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. You are okay with God. A son and a daughter. Peace is yours because of those wounds. And you have the promise of his power. The promise of that he will enable you to do the work he's given you to do. So go out in mission. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. How do they do, these fearful disciples become so fearless? Because Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. And they were overjoyed. And again, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Would you stand? We come to that moment now in the service where 2,000 years later, it's as true today as it was in that room on the evening of Easter because of what he's won for us. Church, hear this declaration over you. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Now share that peace with one another.